uh, to everyone, and uh, welcome uh, to the third part of this uh, study of the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the chorus or the bridge that was sung in that song uh, was, let us become more aware of your presence. And I think that is, in a nutshell, the hope not only of that song, but also of our sermon today, that it is so easy for us to forget about the Holy Spirit. And so I pray, my prayer is that through our study, that we become more aware of the Holy Spirit's presence in us and and through us. As we uh, get going, colored insert, you know the drill. If you're a guest, the drill is take it out and take a look at it, use it if at all possible, as we uh, study John chapter 16 together. Before we do, uh, just south of St. Petersburg, Florida, there's a body of water that most of you have uh, likely heard the name of. It's called Tampa Bay, okay? You've got the town of Tampa and then Tampa Bay. And so if you're driving on I-275 south on that road, you'll hit a spot where the land ends, and then there's a four-mile stretch of Tampa Bay before the land picks up again. And you might expect, and it is true, that spanning that four-mile stretch is a really big bridge. In fact, it's called the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. I think I have a picture of it here. Yes, I do. Um, Looks very Floridian, doesn't it, with the sails and everything? And uh, this is quite an impressive bridge. Uh, Obviously, it's sort of uh, indelibly ingrained in my my mind. Um, In fact, in the middle there, the road in the very middle is 430 feet above the water, which, to give you some perspective, if you've ever been to downtown Minneapolis, the Fauché Tower is 430 feet high. Okay, so it's, it's quite massive. And in fact, let me give you a different perspective, a driver's perspective. Here's what it looks like driving. Literally, it looks like driving while you are going onto this bridge, okay? And in fact, when Carrie and I were driving on it two years ago, they had those barrels there. My first thought is, um, if they're doing construction on this bridge, maybe I shouldn't be driving on it. Um, another thing that just got me a little bit worried is that, remember, you do, the storm last night? Um, there was a storm going on in Florida just like that, if not worse, as we were about to drive onto this thing, and the sails on this bridge were kind of doing this. And I don't usually get worried about this kind of stuff, but part of me was thinking, what will it feel like to fall from the Fauché Tower into Tampa Bay if this bridge doesn't hold itself or if the breeze, <laughs> strong breeze, pushes me and the car over the side of the bridge or something? And, and there's, there's no going back. Cars behind me, that would have caused an accident if I would have stopped, so we just went, and, and obviously everything was fine. But it's amazing to think that somebody could design a bridge like this that would withstand these storms and these winds and have tons of semis on it and tons of cars and barrels and people and all, and, and that it still holds, that it still stays up. Because if someone asked me, Ben, design a four-mile bridge across Tampa Bay, I'd be like, I, I mean, to walk on maybe? But all this, I mean, it just blows your mind, right? We've been using that phrase lately. This does that to me. But there's someone, and maybe some of you are like this, there's some people who are smart enough in this area to be able to design something like this. 
And in this series, what we're, what we're looking at is that just because a person can't explain something like a bridge that spans four miles and goes 430 feet in the air, just because someone can't explain it doesn't mean it doesn't exist or it doesn't work. And much more intricate and, and amazing, we have God as the Trinity. And just because... I can't totally explain it or understand it doesn't mean that it can't exist or that it doesn't work. In fact, one of the things I'm hoping you get comfortable with is to just be comfortable with knowing what you know and then being comfortable with there's going to be some things you're not going to understand. And here's, here's why. Does it make sense for the created being, you and I, to understand everything about the Creator? Does it not make sense that there are going to be some things about the Creator God that is more amazing, more intricate, more just complicated than what His creation can understand? Absolutely. At least it does to me. But we're okay with that. And so in this series, our main goal was kind of simplistic but important. And you see it on your, your, uh, your sheet Essentially, it's this, that we're just going to share what we know about the Trinity in order to grow. Share what we know in order to grow. And grow how? Relationally. Because the more you get to know somebody, the more potential there is to grow in that relationship. The same thing is true with God. The more you get to know about the Father, your relationship with Him grows. Same is true with the Son and today, uh, the Holy Spirit. We're going to dive in, as I mentioned a few times now, into God the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I just want to, I guess, uh, acknowledge is that when it comes to the Trinity, Father, Son, and then Holy Spirit, of the three, the one that probably often takes the back seat is the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we think about God the Father, the Creator, the Protector, all those things we talked about often. We, We think probably the most about the Son, and for good reason, the one who was our substitute on the cross and who by faith in him saves us. But the Holy Spirit seems to take a back seat. And today, I want to change that a little bit. And I want you to better understand who he is and what the Holy Spirit did for you and does for you. And the interesting thing is, while we often forget or maybe don't magnify as much as we should the Holy Spirit, The very interesting, amazing thing is that Jesus didn't downplay the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the section of Scripture I'm going to read in just a minute here, Jesus has this amazing statement that I don't know if I can do justice to. Because what he says about the Holy Spirit just, I pray again, just blows your mind today about the importance of the Holy Spirit that Jesus himself acknowledged. Before we get to it, though, I need to give you a little context so you better understand what's going on. So it is the the night before Jesus would die. In just an hour or two, he was going to be arrested, and that whole, uh, you know, trial and crucifixion of Jesus was to begin. And for some weeks leading up to that night, Jesus had been giving the disciples little clues that things were going to be changing, and that he would be leaving and If you know the Gospels at all, you know that uh, the disciples didn't quite get everything. 
But they did understand that something was going to be changing. And they started to have grief. Like what? I'm guessing almost everybody in this room, if you're older than 20 at least, has had someone in your life that played a pretty big part who's no longer in it anymore. I'm talking because of death. A parent, a grandparent, for some of us, even a spouse that is no longer with us, maybe even kids. And I want you to think about the, the hole that you feel, especially at the very beginning, and God helps it get better over time, but that hole that's, that's there right at the beginning and maybe you're still feeling. And I want you to realize that the disciples could relate to how you're feeling because that's exactly some of the emotions that they were going through at the time that Jesus shares these words. So it's John chapter 16. It's the night before Jesus dies, and Jesus says this. Now, I'm going to him, to the Father, who sent me, the Son, Jesus. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? It kind of shows a little bit of their confusion. They weren't exactly sure what was going on. But because I've said these things that I'm going to be leaving you, you are filled with grief. That's, that's the type of grief that I just tried to help you understand what they were going through. Someone you love is leaving you. But I've got some encouragement for you. I tell you the truth. It is for your good. It is an advantage to you that I am leaving you, that I'm going away. Why? Unless I go away, the, whole, the counselor, which is another word for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, then I'm going to be sending him to you in a very special way on Pentecost. And then that presence continues in a special way with all of us. Now, did you catch it? Jesus is trying to get the disciples' mind in the right spot, whereas it would be very easy for them to be all discouraged and all upset because this very important part of their life, Jesus was physically not going to be with them anymore. But he says, it is better for you that I leave physically. Because when I go, I'm going to send you a special thing, a special presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably thought this in some way or another. Man, it sure would have been cool if I would have been alive around the time of Jesus. It would have been cool if I could have been one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and what an amazing thing that would have done for me and for my faith to see Jesus every day, to give him a handshake or a high five. I don't know if they fist bumped back then, but, you know, fist bump Jesus. Um, you know, they're buds, the disciples in Jesus. He's their teacher and their friend and their Savior as well. And it would have been cool to be there but you are not at a disadvantage. Because what Jesus wanted to make abundantly clear was that it's better that I leave physically because I'm going to give you something better if I go. And that is my Holy Spirit. We haven't explained why yet, but I just want you to sort of muse on our first fill-in, on the truth, that Jesus highlights 
underscores, underlines, focuses, and that there's a huge blessing when it comes to the presence of the Holy Spirit. One that I think Christians don't think about or muse on or highlight enough. There's this huge blessing of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's explain with the rest of our time a little bit about why. Um, have any of you seen that uh, brand new TV show called uh, Survivor at all? Just checking to see if everyone is, is listening. And some of you weren't because you just, oh, oh. Um, yeah, it's been on, on TV for like 15 years or so. There's like 20 plus episodes, okay? Survivor's been around so long that I am, I feel like I do not need to explain what it is. So I'm not going to. But if you've ever watched a whole episode of Survivor, one of the things that happens as you watch all the episodes is you really get to know the people. Starts off with probably about 20 or so, and you get to know who are honest and who aren't. Um, You get to know personalities. You get to know relationships. You get to know people. You get to know who's good at challenges like, you know, they have on every show, right? And who isn't. But one of the things that you've probably never thought about, or if you have, it's been very rarely, about Survivor is something that you'll see in this next picture. That there are uh, about 50 to 60, Google says, um, crew members that are at every Survivor. Way outnumbers the amount of people you get to know are the people behind the scenes, the people behind the cameras that live in tents or in nearby hotels or wherever they are. And the reason you don't get to know them or focus on them is because their job is not to put the focus on themselves, but for you to get to know the people that the cameras are pointing on. That's the way it is with the Holy Spirit. In fact, it makes sense that you don't think about the Holy Spirit as much as the Son. The Bible tells us that's the Holy Spirit's job. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit's job is to shine the light, the camera, on Jesus Christ the Son. If your heart thinks more about the Son than the Spirit, the Spirit's doing his job. He works like a camera crew behind the scenes. But it doesn't mean he's not there. It just means he's behind the scenes. So what does he do? What is he doing behind the scenes? Well, let's turn back to our text because Jesus goes on to explain why it's good for the Holy Spirit to be there. He says, when he comes, that is the Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men don't believe in me, He'll convict in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see me. And in regard to judgment because the prince of this world, the devil, now stands condemned. Now, if you didn't understand anything I just read and you were paying attention, um, I got your back. (laughs) Because you could have been following along with your brain and your heart and like finished verse 11 like, what did that just say? 
And one of the main reasons why this section is tricky in our, in our NIV translation is because of one of the words at the very beginning. It's the word in the Greek, elegsai, and it's translated here as to convict the world of guilt. And so I can understand that the Holy Spirit will convict me of guilt in regards to my sin. But convict of guilt in regard to righteousness? Righteousness is holiness. I'm guilty of righteousness? I mean, the word guilt just has a different feeling for us. A better, more clear translation of that Greek word elegsai, in fact, if you have your personal Bibles along, I'm going to tell you to do something your parents probably told you not to do. I want you to write in your Bible, and I want you to write the word convince, near convict of guilt. Because what it is saying is that when the Spirit comes, his main job is to convince the world about sin, about righteousness, and about the end of the world, judgment. The Holy Spirit's, let me say that again, main job is to convince the world, the people in the world, about sin, to convince them about forgiveness or righteousness, and to convince them about the end of the world. Now, why do we need convincing? Because when we naturally think about these things, we get off track. You know what we naturally think about ourselves? That we're pretty good, and naturally we think that the things we do that are wrong are well, we'd prefer to call them mistakes. We, we've talked about this before. Like, I don't want to be a sinner. I want to be a mistaker. And what we've said in the past is, no, no, we're not mistakers because a mistake is when you forget to carry the one when you're che- doing your checkbook, okay? That's a mistake. But most of the times when we are disobeying God or going uh, against God's will, we're not making a mistake. Like, oh, I, f- I didn't know, <laughs> We're acting in accordance with the Bible calls our sinful nature. And most of the times, our sins of attitude and word and action are willful. Most of the time, we know what we're doing. We just decide to do otherwise. And the Holy Spirit has come to convince me that I'm not a mistaker, that I'm a sinner. And that I have a, not a good relationship with God. In fact, on my own. In fact, the Bible says that if you have sin, but not Christ, you are dead. And when I was teaching confirmation class regularly, and we'd get to this section about being dead in sin, I would use kind of a morbid example. What I would, what I would tell the kids is, if you would go to the cemetery, and you would offer a dead person there an all-expense-paid trip to Disney World— what ability would that dead person have to take the trip? And the answer was meant to be obvious. Well, no ability, Pastor Ben. Exactly. It's the exact same way when it comes to salvation. I want you to think about it this way. Jesus Christ bought, through his death and resurrection, all-expense-paid trip to heaven, right? To eternity with him. And he can offer it to us all he wants, but we could never take it on our own because we're dead, spiritually dead with that sinful nature. 
And so we needed the Holy Spirit also to convince us about forgiveness and holiness and that Jesus died, and it's as if I died for sin, that I received the payment for sin, that Jesus won for me on the cross. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. Maybe it was when you were a kid at your baptism, maybe as an adult when you came to know what Jesus did, he did the first work. Behind the scenes, you didn't even feel it. Because he's, he's shining the spotlight on Christ. He's behind the scenes and he chipped away at that stony heart of yours that we were able to then believe that I'm a sinner, but Jesus has paid for me. Jesus has paid for my sins. Now, we are so blessed here always of having guests with us. And, and so uh, some of us might have grown up or might uh, um, uh, have heard about churches that really focus on uh, this phrase, a decision of faith, a decision for Christ. And I just want to say that you won't hear that phraseology here. And, and here's the reason. Because when you consider what the Holy Spirit has done for us to believe, that is, he broke up the stony heart, he gave us, you know, the shock our heart needed to come to life, we want to give all glory where glory is due. Glory to the Father who loved us to send the Son, glory to the Son who died for us in our place, and then glory to the Spirit who worked behind the scenes enabling us to believe. You and I cannot make decisions for faith. (laughs) We'll get to this in a second. We can make decisions of faith. In fact, some of us are not making enough of them. (laughs) You can't make a decision for faith. We can make decisions of faith. But the the greatest work that the Spirit has done for us um, is also shared when Pastor Paul wrote this in our next uh, verse that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You can't believe unless the third person of the Trinity is working in you through the gospel. And so our next fill-in, the Spirit's greatest work is bringing dead hearts to faith. That's not his only work, but his greatest work is bringing dead hearts to faith. Of the three persons of the Trinity— When you talk to other Christians or from your background, you're going to find there's the most, I would say, um, lack of continuity in the area of the Holy Spirit. Um, In fact, a few years ago, I was working in my my office and uh, a gentleman came in. I had never met him before. And he wanted to learn a little bit more about our church, which is why I'm here. It's an awesome thing. And his first question was this. Is this a spirit-filled church? And he kind of said it like that, you know? Is this a spirit-filled church? And I knew what he was meaning, I thought, but I let him go on a little bit, and and, and I was right. Um, What he meant was this a church that really emphasizes the gifts of the Spirit as uh, shared in the New Testament, gifts like speaking in tongues, which is kind of uh, speaking a language that no one can understand, but... um, God can, and, and I, I think there's a lot of, uh, what should I say, um, 
I think that sometimes this can be carried out in ways that aren't really being honest. Can people speak in tongues? The Bible says they can by the Holy Spirit, but that's one thing. Um, healings by the Holy Spirit, um, other types of just outward signs of dancings and things that people are unable to control, but the Holy Spirit is working in them. Is this a Spirit-filled church? church Yeah. <laughs> and I said, of course it is, Spirit-filled church. And then I explained what I meant, And he was so surprised that I could be a pastor of a Christian church and have never spoken in tongues. And I said, well, just ask my kids. They probably think I've spoken in tongues before when I was angry, right? What is he saying? He's just mad, you know? I don't know. Are we a spirit-filled church even though you don't have people speaking in tongues or dancing uncontrollably or healings or Absolutely, and here's why. We don't focus on those gifts. Can they happen? The Bible says they can. But it all goes back to this, that the Spirit's greatest work is bringing dead hearts to faith. So we focus on that, the greatest work of the Holy Spirit. I don't want someone to feel like they're not a child of God because they can't speak in tongues or they can't do healings. You're a child of God because of what the Holy Spirit has done in your heart and that you can confess that Jesus is my Lord. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, before we close today, I want to make sure that you know that the Spirit's work in you and with you does not end when you come to faith. In fact, there's this this imagery that's going to give you both comfort and also a little bit of apprehension at the same time. Uh, Pastor Paul, again, uh, writes this to the Corinthians. He says, Don't you know, Christians, that you yourselves, that is, your bodies, are God's temple— And that God's Spirit, when you come to faith, comes to live with you or in you. When we come to faith, the Spirit doesn't just leave us. He comes and lives in your heart. Our next fill-in. And the Spirit is a difference-making house guest. Have you ever had a difference-making house guest before? My mom is a difference-making house guest <laughs> in lots of ways, all right? So, you know, you have someone that comes over that you love, and uh, what happens is, and you've probably done this too, is, is your house cleaner or dirtier when that love, the person you love, comes to your house? Okay, maybe I should ask it a different way. At the beginning, is your house cleaner or usually cleaner, right? Dads especially, you speak to your kids in a more loving tone when mom's around or when she's not around or when a, a, a good friend's around or someone's not around. Yeah, you, you know, a difference-making house guest is someone that helps you rise up to who you probably should be all the time, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. And I just want to tell you that you are better with him than without him. That you can do more when it comes to um, your godly attitude and actions with him than without him. In fact, uh, we had a whole series on this a year ago. They're called Fruits of the Spirit. The Bible very clearly says that when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, there's these fruits like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, and then the old when mom's around, self-control, okay? Now, that doesn't mean, those who have the Holy Spirit in you by faith, that you're never going to fall. That doesn't mean that we're never going to struggle. That doesn't mean that on the day you became a Christian, you went from unloving to just the most loving person ever, okay? We fail, we fall, we sin. But here's what it does mean. I don't want to ever hear you say, I'm just settling to be who I was. I'm a worrier, just who I am. Don't say that. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And you can be that which you would not be without him. I'm just career-minded. It's just how I'm wired. It might be. But with the Holy Spirit, you can be that which you couldn't be if you were all by yourself because the Holy Spirit, as it says, is a difference-making house guest. So now what? What's our application? Just sit around waiting for fruit to grow. Got any yet? What's our application today? How do we apply this? Sit there and wait, right? No. Here's what Paul said in that same section about fruits. After he was done sharing what all the fruit was, he says, since then we live or have been given new life in context by the Spirit. Since you've been given a brand new life, you've been changed, your heart is now spiritually pumping. Since that's happened and the Spirit lives in you, then let us just sit there. Let us do something. Let us keep in step. Let us walk with him. Let's make decisions not for faith, but every day let's make decisions of faith that are in line with walking. You know what's easier than walking? At least naturally, crawling. If you've ever been a parent, you know this. You have to kind of give encouragement to walk, right? And so mom or dad holds little Johnny at one years old, and they can barely stand, and it's kind of like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. man. They're just kind of, you know, stumbling, and you're down to one finger. You're holding on to their finger, and then their spouse is on the other side. Come on, you can do it, and you let go, and they're trying to get their balance right, and then they kind of wobble like this, and slobber's coming down their mouth, and they look at, you know, that baby toddler face, you know. You got to get that on video, right? I'm sure most of you do. And then baby sees something, toddler sees something that he really wants to the side, and he all of a sudden runs after. No, and you know what happens? Goes down on his knees, starts crawling on his stomach, and goes and gets that thing while you're trying to get them to walk, right? Happens every time. Because by nature, we're content to crawl. You've never heard a parent say, hey, look at my son Johnny. He crawls great, you know? You have heard parents say, look, Johnny's walking already, right? You don't usually brag about the crawling, usually. Because we crawl naturally, but we were designed to walk 
when the Holy Spirit came to live with you and to be with you and changed you, he designed you to walk. And it's easier in high school to crawl along with the rest of the kids and do what they're doing, and it's easier in college to do that, and it's easier as an adult to crawl around, so to speak, with the, the people that maybe <laughs> don't have the Lord in their life. You got we got to realize what we're doing. We're crawling sometimes. And my application for you is our last fill-in. Don't be content to crawl. You've got a house guest in you. Walk. Listen to the word. That's how the Spirit speaks to you. And let him grow your faith. And then listen to the promptings that the Holy Spirit gives you. Now, I'm not talking in some weird way. I honestly will say I've never heard the Lord speak to me in like the audible way. But I believe he speaks to us a lot through his word, doesn't he? And if there's a prompting that you're feeling like this job might be good for my career, but not good for my family, and something doesn't feel right about that, listen to the Spirit and walk instead of crawl. If something inside you says that an attitude that you have is, is, is not right, but everyone else has that same attitude or those same priorities, listen to those promptings. What we're probably doing when we don't is shutting out the Holy Spirit. Listen to those promptings. Walk. Don't crawl. Walk. Don't crawl. Walk. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Dear Holy Spirit, thank you for filling this room as we sang. Thank you for working through your word as you have promised to do. And dear Holy Spirit, help us to walk in step with you more and more each day as you also do your work in us day by day. Lord, we, we thank you for this study on who you are, Father, Son, and Spirit, and pray that it allowed us to grow. We also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. At this time, um, our